I'm sorry that my wife can't get that close to me without getting distracted. <laughs> it's just the burden I've had to bear. Off. <laughs> but, you know, one thing I want to let you know, we're working out the logistics. Um, how many of you remember that when the uh, pandemic first hit, we, uh, what we would do in order to help people for those first, I think we did it for six weeks, maybe two months, maybe more, that we would give away groceries. Any of you remember that? Well, that, that had been on my heart to do again, and uh, then Deborah came out of her prayer closet one day, and she said, Love, I think we need to launch that again, and uh, so I already reached out to Keisha, and, uh, um, and I need some other people, but what we want to do is we're working out the logistics of it, but here shortly we're going to announce a, a new ministry, just calling it Grocery Giveaway, where at the end of every service in the fellowship hall, we'll have bags of groceries. And so if you need them or anyone else that you know needs them, but we primarily want to start focusing first on the church, if you need help, we want to help. And so we're going to be giving away bags of groceries at the end of service until God tells us to stop. And if he never tells us to stop, then we'll just keep expanding it. Amen. But we're working on that. So if you would like to be involved in helping bag those groceries, um, I'm just going to go ahead and say, see Keisha at the end of service. Keisha, stand up. Come on. You didn't know I was going to do this, and neither did I. That young lady right there, she knows how to do it because she's done hundreds of bags of groceries. Amen? So we're starting a new series. It's hard to believe we're already into November, and uh, Christmas is right around the corner. And, uh, but we're starting a new series this month, and this month is dedicated to overflow. And uh, I want to talk to you about stepping into the overflow in various areas of our lives. Overflow is a biblical word. In fact, the word overflow is used in various places, but even in places where the word overflow is not used, it is alluded to time and time and time again. And the word overflow means this. The word overflow means for a river to hit its limit and keep going. When it goes over its banks and it floods the surrounding region, that is called an overflow because it flows to the limit and beyond. And so this is what we want to talk about. Now, I want to say this because before we can go down this path, there is a question each and every one of us must answer, and we must answer it for ourselves. Meaning, wives, you can't answer this question for your husbands. Husbands, you can't answer it for your wives. I can't answer it for you, and you can't answer it for me. But the question is this, is my God a God of harshness and scarcity and lack? Or is my God a God of joy and love and abundance? See, because until you answer that for yourself, you'll never, you won't receive what I'm about to say. Does this make sense? Yes, sir. Because if in your heart you believe that your God is a God of scarcity, meaning he'll use famine in order to train you, then you will rebel on the inside against what I'm saying. Because I've discovered this about all Christians. We have different levels of obedience, but I've never met yet a Christian who really, really, really wanted to rebel against God. 
They want to do the will of God. The confusion comes in from what is the will of God. If it's the will of God for me to suffer, then I really don't want to strive not to suffer. Right? Is this making sense? If it's the will of God for me to be sick, then why should I seek healing? If it's the will of God for me to pour, then prosperity is anti-God. So we have to, for ourselves, answer this question. Who do you say that he is? As for me in my house, I believe he's a good God. I believe he's a God of love and a God of charity and a God of generosity. And this is showcased in the scripture. The curse was always related to famine. The blessing was always related to abundance. You'll never find a verse that God says, I'm going to bless you with starvation. Do you? No, no. God never says, you know what? I love you so much and you are so blessed. Your land's not going to know rain for the next decade. No, those things happened always as a result of disobedience. So we have to answer the question, who do we say God is for us? Is he a God of overflow or is he a God of no flow? Does he withhold or does he give? Once you've answered that question, then your time, you're, you're ready for this series. There's four things I want to discuss and then we'll get into it. Over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about the overflow of grace, the overflow of love, the overflow of thanksgiving, and then finally the overflow of resources. Because if we're not ready for an overflow of grace, you got no business hearing about an overflow of money. You got to understand it's of grace. You've got to learn to receive his love and you got to definitely show some appreciation. Amen. So today I want to talk about grace, and I want to start off by saying this. Listen, grace is as overwhelming, abundant, and available as is the love of God. In other words, we don't have to call, do anything to cause the overflow. All we've got to do is stop putting sandbags on the bank. God wants to pour out into our lives. He's already ordained it. He's already declared it. We just got to stop resisting it. Is this making sense? Go with me, if you would, to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. Reading it to you out of the New American Standard, the scripture says this. And God is able. Everyone say able. able. Now that word able, this is interesting. I'm going to break it down. This isn't in my notes, but I just want to break it down a little bit. That word able has to do with might and power. Meaning God is powerful enough to do what he's about to say he's going to do. He doesn't lack the ability to do this. That's power. That's might. God is able to make how much grace? All grace. In other words, God is so strong that there's not a situation you'll ever experience. There's not a predicament you'll ever find yourself in. There's not a sin you'll ever commit that God's grace is not great enough. And that God is not powerful enough to apply grace in that situation. God is able to make all grace do what? Overflow to you. So that always... How many of you know this? If it's written, our uncertainty is unnecessary. 
So that always having all sufficiency in everything. Y'all get that? Yes, sir. I mean, man, we could just say amen right here and we'd have had church. God is strong enough and great enough to make all grace come to you so that in every situation of life, you do not need any aid or support. That's literally what it means. You don't need any outside aid. You don't need to go begging to your neighbors or begging to the government. You don't because I've seen the I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging. You don't got to go begging anywhere when God's grace is flowing in your life. You'll never need aid or support because God's grace is greater than your environment. If they lay off everyone down at the plant, God is able to meet your need. If they fire everyone, if the economy completely tanks, God is still able to bring manna to your door. He is still the God of the Bible. He is not the God of the White House, meaning whoever's in the White House does not determine his ability. He's greater than politics. God is able to make all grace overflow so that always having all sufficiency in everything you may have. And you know what that word is? Overflow. So that you'll have overflow for every good deed. He's not a God of lack. Let me read the same out of the the same verse out of the Amplified. Verse eight, second Corinthians nine. And God is able more than willing to make all grace, every favor, and earthly blessing come to you in scarcity. You got to be religious to screw this up. Because God made it so clear. God made it so clear. Just listen, listen, listen. Everyone, every, every eye on me. Don't let preachers change the word. Some preach out of their tradition and some preach out of their own environment and their own circumstances. Just let the word say what the word says. And God is able more than willing to make all grace, every favor and earthly blessing come to you in abundance so that you may always and under all circumstances and whatever the need be self-sufficient. Possessing enough to require no aid or support and furnished in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. Well, pastor, what if I love the Lord and I'm not experiencing this? Then you don't let your condition change your confession. You keep saying this is what the Bible says and you declare it to your scarcity. Is that making sense? If if, if I'm not experiencing this, then God ain't the one that's got to change my circumstances. And if need be, I do. But I keep confessing his word to that which opposes it. So I wrote this. Really, all we need to do is remove the hindrances to grace. When it comes to grace, we can do one of two things. We can nullify it or we can magnify it. When it comes to grace, we can do one of two things. We can nullify it which means we make it void, we make it little, we make it of no effect in our lives. Or we can magnify it. Go with me to the book of Galatians, chapter 2, verse 21. Is this okay this morning? Yes, sir. This is out of the Amplified, verse 21. Therefore, this is Paul saying this, I do not treat God's gracious gift as something of minor importance. 
and defeat its very purpose. Selah. Paul saying, I do not treat the, the I do not treat God's grace as something of minor importance. And in that defeat it's a purpose. Yes. 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 I do not set aside and invalidate and frustrate and nullify the grace, the unmerited favor of God. For if justification, righteousness, acquittal from guilt comes through observing the ritual of the law, then Christ the Messiah died groundlessly and to no purpose and in vain. His death was then wholly unnecessary or superfluous. You getting that? So what Paul is saying is, if I'm going to trust in my own ability and make little of the grace of God, then the grace of God will have little effect in my life. On the other hand, I can make much to do about the grace of God. I can lean heavily into the grace of God, and I can declare the grace of God, and I can experience a grace overflow. So once again, I don't have to cause it. It's already flowing. What I've got to do is just get into the stream. And I get into the stream by stopping, no longer saying, well, you know, the grace of God, you make too much to do over that, you know, and it ain't that. The grace of God has to be more than, I'm jumping ahead, so Sister Fowler, forgive me. It, the, the grace of God has to be more than just a word. Come on, brother. It has to be a power in our lives. It can't be just a word. It's got to be an action. It's got to be a flow. It's got to be an energy that's in our lives. Is this okay? Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. And I want you to see this out of the Amplified Version. 1 Peter 5, 5. How do we nullify the grace of God? Likewise, you who are younger and of lesser rank, be subject to the elders and ministers and spiritual guides of the church, giving them due respect and yielding to their counsel. Clothe, apron yourselves, all of you, with humility. Everyone say humility. humility. That's, that's a key word. As the garb of a servant, so that its covering cannot possibly be stripped from you. Now, these are the words I want you to see. With freedom from pride and arrogance. Remember when I taught on how to recognize a hypocrite? You're going to see a lot of the hypocrite in this. Because what a, a hypocrite's always arrogant and prideful. And we need, if we're going to experience the grace of God, we've got to be free from pride and arrogance toward one another. For God, listen to this. God sets himself against the proud. Have y'all ever had an enemy? I mean, I haven't had many because I'm a pretty nice guy. But I've had a couple. And the couple I've had, I really didn't care about. Because they had no power over my life. They were just an irritation, like a zit. And I wanted to pop them from time to time. <clears throat> but an enemy who has authority or power, now that's an enemy. I mean, an enemy who has the ability to really wreak havoc in your life. If pride in my heart makes God my enemy... And God is all-powerful. That's not someone I want to make my enemy. Is this man? 
So if humility draws his grace and pride draws his fury, I want to be humble. Just because I don't want to make someone who's greater than anyone my enemy. And the Bible says here, God sets himself against the proud, the insolent, the overbearing, the disdainful, the presumptuous, the boastful. And he, listen to this, he opposes, frustrates, and defeats them. But gives grace, favor, and blessing to the humble. So I wrote these words so I wouldn't, we miss out on the full outpouring of God's grace and favor by being prideful. You need to resist pride, man. Yes, sir. And if you got somebody who's boasting about you too much, you ought to tell them, don't do that. Amen. It's not helpful. Amen. Yes, sir. You know, it's one thing if you come home and your wife goes, Hercules, Hercules, Hercules. That's okay. <laughs> but when everyone else does it, it's going to seep in. Yes, sir. I heard one preacher say, the worst thing you can do is believe your own advertising. You need to resist it. Because to the level it gains favor or gains position in your life, the grace of God will sink. As pride increases, grace decreases. So we miss out on the full outpouring of God's grace and favor by being prideful. Many people lack an understanding of pride and its devastating effect on our lives. Listen to this. Pride is not just exalting yourself. It's also not agreeing with what God says about you. I'm going to say law that one for a moment. Because you've heard me say this before. God is the only one in all of creation that knows everything about you. Everything. And yet he is the only one that's never said one derogatory word about you. I mean, he knows everything about you, but he has never said a derogatory word about you. Hmm. So if God says you're an overcomer and your declaration is I'm not. I'm say lying this chasing a rabbit. You call that humility. But it's only pride disguised. Because if God says one thing about me and I say something else, that's the opposite of it. And it works both ways. If God says you're not and you declare you are, God says, I want you to be the janitor and you tell everyone you're the apostle. That's arrogance and that's pride. But it's also if God calls you beautiful and whole and you talk about yourself as if you're ugly and broke. You don't accept his description of you. That is pride. Because God says, I love you, and you tell everyone nobody loves me. Amen. What is that? That's pride. Yes. Because you're not agreeing with God. True humility is if you said it, God, I believe it. Yes. I feel like I'm unloved, but you declare I'm loved. So the declaration that comes out of my mouth is going to be agreement with you. I'm loved. Why do you think we sing that song, I am righteous? Because he said we are. He took away our ashes, and he gave us beauty so is it wrong to say i'm beautiful no because he made me beautiful Amen. paul said i am that i am by the grace of god so true humility is not agreeing with those naysayers 
true humility is not agreeing with the religious who say you're nothing but a worm. True humility is agreeing with God. So God, you said I'm favored. So my declaration is I'm favored. I often say it this way. If you read the Bible, you've heard of the Hittites and the Amorites. Behold God's favor right. Why? Because we come from the land of favor. So I'm the favorite of God. This is the favorable year of the Lord. I walk in God's favor. Well, that's just arrogance. No, that's humility. Hmm. Is this okay? We're talking about an overflow. We want to get that overflow going. Downplaying what God has done in your life. Listen to this. This will set some of us free. Downplaying what God has done in your life for fear of how people will respond is pride. Because I'm downplaying the goodness of God in my life in order to appease other people. And that makes me a pleaser of men. And if I'm a pleaser of men, I cannot be a pleaser of. When you honor God and give him the glory, he'll honor you. If you truly humble yourself and are thankful for all God has done, you'll open the door to receiving more grace and more favor. Go with me to Luke chapter 18, verse 9. I thought this would be a short sermon, but I ain't moving too fast. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Jesus taught this parable to those who were convinced they were morally upright and those who trusted in their own virtue let, yet looked down on others with disgust. Verse 10. Once there were two men who went into the temple to pray. One was pr a proud religious leader, the other a despised tax collector. Verse 11 and 12. The religious leader stood apart from the others and prayed, I thank you, O God, that I'm not wicked like everyone else. They're cheaters and swindlers and crooks like that tax collector over there. God, you know that I never cheat or commit adultery. I fast from food twice a week and I give a tenth of all I make. The tax collector stood off alone in the corner away from the holy place and covered his face in his hands, feeling that he was unworthy to even look up to God. Beating his breast, he sobbed with brokenness and tears, saying, God, please, in your mercy and because of the blood sacrifice, forgive me, for I am nothing but the most miserable of all sinners. Which one of them left for home that day made right with God? Tax collector. It was the humble tax collector, not the religious leader. For everyone, listen to this, for everyone who praises himself will one day be humiliated before all. And everyone who humbles himself will one day be lifted up and honored before all. We're still talking about the overflow of grace. How do we step into the overflow of grace? By getting rid of all pride, every remnant of it. Now, I'm about to make a statement here that will rock the religious minds. Sin will not stop the operation of grace in your life, but pride will. Selah. Sin will not stop the love of God in your life, but pride will. 
Remember I said this too, I think it was last week. Jesus reserved his harshest words, not for the prostitute, not for the woman caught in the act of adultery. Who was he harsh towards? The Pharisees, the arrogant and the prideful. But to those caught in the very act of sin, his love embraced them. So I'm going to say it again. Sin will not stop the operation of grace in your life, but pride will. Go with me to Romans chapter 5, verse 20. I'm going to read just a portion of the verse. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Pride hinders and voids out grace in our lives. Humility and gratitude put us in the overflow. Is this making sense to you? Yes, sir. How many of you want an overflow? Because yes. see, what grace does, grace simply defined is the unmerited favor of God. So the more grace, the more favor. And I said it earlier, I'll say it again, favor ain't fair unless you're the favored one. How many of you remember back in school, teacher's pet? I don't know why, but I was never teacher's pet. You know, I was the one that had to go out there and beat the... And get covered in chalk dust and breathe out. She was trying to kill me, y'all. Go out there and beat the things and chalk dust flying everywhere. Teacher's pet got to go to the lunchroom and get an orange or a banana. She, teacher's pet never had to do the dirty jobs. I didn't think it was fair. Teacher's pet did. Why am I saying this? You're God's pet. You're the favored one. You're the one for whom he's going to make things happen just to make other people jealous. Well, pastor, that ain't biblical. Yes, it is. It's the goodness of God they see in your life that's going to guide them toward repentance. It's when they see that God does things for you that he ain't doing for them that's going to make them come and say, I want it. What's, what's going on in your life? You're the only person on this block that hasn't had their car repoed. And curious minds want to know. Why is the grass in everyone else's yard dead and yours is still green? Favor. More grace. More favor. We definitely want the overflow of grace in our lives. For some, grace is just a word. But grace must be more than just a word because in the New Testament, it is, it is revealed as a force, a power of God, a heavenly strength put on men. Listen to this. The gospel of grace is the gospel message. The gospel of grace is the gospel message. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. In most churches in our country, they're not hearing the gospel. And that's why men ain't getting set free. Uh, the reason I'm saying that, listen, 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 listen. How many of you know Paul and Peter got into a fist fight? You want to know why? Because Peter was preaching a mix. Peter was preaching a little bit of grace and a little bit of law. And Paul came along and said, no, you can't do that. And they got a fist fight in the church parking lot. <laughs> Grace and law went ate it. 
most of us have been raised up, weaned on a hybrid gospel. A little bit of law with a little bit of grace. Just enough grace to make us think we're not Old Testament. But not enough grace to set us free. I want to say that again. Just enough grace that we realize we're not under the Old Covenant. But not enough grace to make us free. We've got to hear about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ because it's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that brings about the freedom and removes the shackles and the chains and sets you free from addictions and pain. We need to have an overflow because an overflow is what causes us to walk in the abundance in every area of our lives. Is this okay? It'll get good because I ain't done. Go with me to the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 16. The book of Romans was written to explain the gospel of grace so that anybody could understand it. Romans, chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel that he was not ashamed of was the gospel of grace. Paul opened almost every one of his letters with the grace of God. Grace and peace. Mm. I'm trying to hurry up. Let me skip some of these things. You can get my notes online. You can get them online. I put them up there. Y'all settle down. Romans chapter 1, verse 17. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. I want you to notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say from good deed to good deed. It doesn't say from law to law. It says from faith to faith. But the righteous one will live by faith. Go with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And this is where I wanted to get to. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8, and I'm going to read through to verse 10. If you read the verse before this, you'll find out, <clears throat> and this is so important right here, this is why I skipped some things, because I wanted to be able to sit out on this. In the verse that comes before the one we're about to read, Paul makes it very clear what was troubling him. He, he's, he, he mentioned a messenger of Satan. And then he comes down to verse verse 8 here, and he says, Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might leave me. Most scholars tell us that this was not literally three times, but three being the number of perfection. They say that what this means was every time Paul prayed, he prayed about this. How many of you ever had that one problem that every time you prayed, you prayed about that one problem? I mean, it lived rent-free in the frontal lobe of your mind. You could... And this is every time Paul prayed, it completely saturated his prayer life. Every time he prayed, he prayed and I pleaded with God, make this thing stop. Verse nine. And he said to me, and that's in the imperative. It literally means this. You ready for this? This is my final answer, Paul. Every time you come to me, you come to me with the same thing. This is my final answer. It ain't never going to change, and I want you to receive this answer as the answer. Now, here's what I want to say to you, okay? 
This is the one verse where people who don't believe in healing or provision or even the goodness of God will say, well, God says no. I remember one time when we were doing prayer and healing school. This young lady, were you there, Steve? Do you remember that? In her mid-20s? There was this young lady. I only ever saw her the one time. Beautiful young lady and had three small children. I think they were all, on, all under the age of four, if memory serves me right. And she was in her mid-20s, and she was dying of cancer. And she came to our prayer and healing school, and we taught on healing. And then she came up. To, you know, I said, if anyone in here wants to have hands laid on them, and we'll be in agreement with you that Christ will heal you. She got up in line. And doing what I normally do, I said, do you believe that Christ will heal you? And she said, no. And I said, why? And she, she said, well, pastor says that God doesn't always say yes. God sometimes says no. And she partially quoted this passage right here. And so I pulled out my Bible. And I said, with all due respect to your pastor, show me the word no. You say it's in there. That God said, no, show me. It's only two little letters, N-O, show me. Pick any translation you want. Show me. Kind of irritated me. Still does. Show me no. Show me where God said, no, Paul, you got to deal with this, bro. Grow up, put on your pants, and deal with this the rest of your life. The answer is no, I ain't helping you. No. God hath said his final answer. Listen to what he says. My grace. God, listen, God did not say no. He was giving Paul an even better answer. Because if God had removed the messenger without giving Paul grace, there would have simply come another messenger and Paul would have been in the same situation again and again and again and again and again where God said, listen, Paul, I'm going to give you a revelation that is so great you'll never pray about this again. You'll never come to me. And if you read the letters of Paul, you'll find Paul never again prayed about this. Paul never again said, would you deliver me? Would you set me free? Would you prosper me? Would you heal me? No, Paul said, I understand it now. That's good, man. I ain't going to pray about what the devil's doing. I'm going to give you praise over what you've done. And here's what God said. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is overflowing for you. My grace is greater than that messenger. My grace is greater than that disease. My grace is greater than your opposition. My grace is greater than poverty. Paul, whatever you face for the rest of your life, understand this. My grace is greater than that. Amen. And some scholars say they don't know if Paul got this right away or if Paul meditated on it for a while. But either way, Paul got it. For power is perfected in weakness. And this is what Paul says in response. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. You know, and I just saw something I haven't ever... Paul said that the power of Christ may dwell in me. But what God said is my grace is sufficient for you. 
My grace is the power. And my power is called grace. Mm. So that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, and in distresses, and in persecutions, and in difficulties, in behalf of Christ. For when I am weak, then am I strong. You see, you see the reversal that takes place when there's an overflow of grace? Now when the enemy comes and whispers in your ear, you ain't enough, you ought to say, you know what, I ain't. Praise God. <laughs> well, you know what, you don't know how to get out of this situation. You know, right, Mr. Devil, you're right, I don't know. Praise God. Why? Because when I'm weak, I'm not going to boast about my own strength and my own intellect. When I'm weak, then is he strong inside of me. And his grace is and always will be more than enough. So you want to tell me what I'm not capable of? I receive it because he is capable. You want to tell me where I'm weak? Okay, let's talk about how, where he's strong. Mm. I don't know if this is helping you. This is helping me a whole bunch. My grace is sufficient. It's adequate. It's plenty. It's ample. It's abundant for you. No matter what you encounter or how, or how hard life gets, this is what Christ, my final answer is this, my grace is enough. So what this means, saints, is whatever you're praying about, God's answer is this. My grace is sufficient for you. God, I don't know how I'm going to pay rent at the end of the month. My grace is more than enough. I don't know how I'm going to make it. My grace is more. I don't know how my child's ever going to get healed. My grace is more than enough. Everyone say overflow. overflow. So Paul, Paul actually took it so far. He said, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. So as we commence the closing, and you know that don't mean much. It just means I'm starting down the path of closing. An overflow of God's grace is what makes the power of God available to us in each and every situation of life. When we enter into a situation thinking we can, he won't. Trust me, I got the T-shirt. I've tried it that way. I th listen, I've been in church a mighty long time, and I, I, I thought I knew how to do this. And there was one time my wife and I found ourselves in a really, we had been betrayed and betrayed horribly by somebody we trusted. And this person had the, they had the, position in our lives of shutting off our financial faucet and they did it and I remember my wife we, she was crying when we found out the level of betrayal and I remember saying me Tarzan I didn't say that but that's what I thought <laughs> me Tarzan you Jane and that chump cheetah uh -huh. <laughs> but I did say this I We'll fix this. I'll fix this. And a year later, when nothing moved and we were still in the same situation, every month God came through, but we ended the month with zero. You follow what I'm saying? He didn't let us starve, but we had nothing. Started every month at zero. I had hair when we were missionaries. I lost it during that. <laughs> I just went right past gray, right into full-blown loss. 
Because it's freaky when you're on another country and you don't have air. I didn't have airfare to fly her home. And we begin the month with zero. And after a year, she came to me and she said, I thought you said you were going to fix this. Me cheetah. <laughs> I realized, wow. I can't fix this. So I went down to my international office, which was a half basement in the bottom of our house. With a door so short, you had to bow to go in. Literally, had to bow to go in. <clears throat> Mark would have been out of luck, man. And I went down there and I said, God, I'm so sorry. I trusted in my own abilities. I repent. Would you fix this? An hour didn't pass and phones started to ring. And God got us out of that situation in less than a week. As if to say, son, if you had trusted me a year ago, if you would have understood a year ago, my grace is sufficient for you. You didn't have to journey in the wilderness this long. So how do we step into the overflow of God's grace? By boasting about God's grace in our lives. Remember it's revealed from faith to faith. Step into the overflow by faith. Talk about grace. Boast about grace. Make place for grace in your life. You know, once again, you nullify it by making little to do about it. You magnify it, it increases in your life. It's got to be more than just a word. It's got to be a force. When I say the grace of God, you've got to picture an overflow in your life, an unstoppable torrent of favor that washes all of your enemies away, that overflows the banks and the encampments of those who have opposed you. God's grace flowing in your life, washing away all the debris. In closing, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. And Cleve, you need to... Come up here. First Peter chapter four, verse 10, reading it to you out of the Passion Translation. For every believer has received grace gifts. Every believer has received grace gifts. So use them to serve one another as faithful stewards of the many colored tapestry of God's grace. Stand to your feet this morning. And in closing, I want to say this. Not only does humility draw God's grace towards you, God's grace gives no reason for prideful boasting. The law breeds arrogance because the more I keep it, the more I got to brag about. You only kept six, I kept nine, I'm better than you. But when we all collectively understand it's all by grace, it's not by works lest any man should boast, then grace removes all boasting from our lives. And so when we come together, the only one that gets lifted up is him. 
We don't boast in what we drive because it's him. We don't boast about where we live because it's him. We don't boast about what we wear because it's him. We don't boast about what we do because it's him. So we're going to end this service as we try to do every single service by prayer. The first thing I want us all to do is pray collectively this. Very simple. Father, forgive me for those seasons and those times when I've trusted in myself. I want to make a switch. I want to put all of my trust in you, knowing that your grace is sufficient for me. Your grace is more than enough for me. So I choose at this time and forevermore to make much ado about the grace of God. Your grace is what I need, and it's what I receive by faith in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen.